Welcome to our weekly weekly Wednesday night shear. So once again we're starting a slight late. Shkedish Kislev. Pashas Teldes. Welcome Atlanta. Missed you for a while. Ayla Tailis. These are the birth. Of Yitzchak. Yitzchak, Yitzchak. The son of Abraham, of Avram, and Avram gave birth to Yitzchak. Chaim. Shir, of course, dedicated to the Nishmas, Baruch Alevi, Ben Yuda. And um, coming to the end of the year as well, from Mil Basara. Pashat Teldes. We had a Pasha. Usually, Pasha start with the beginning, whatever it says. The first words of the Pasha, usually the name of the Pasha. <coughs> we found already another Pasha earlier that also starts with the word Teldes, Veil Teldes. And Pasha's Noyach. Immediately, of course. The tail days of Neach, the Pasha is called Neach. Tail days in Tail days Yitzchok, it's called Tail days. The Mainaf Kimina. What is the difference between the two? Either call them both Tail days. I'll call one tell this and one Yitzchak and one Nayach. Why differentiate? I'd like to uh, show that the although the world's perception basically of social media is not very positive, There are many people that are very against social media. And we still have people that walk around with flip phones. Not to have a smartphone. Not to be tempted or subjected to the modern social time, social medias. But I'd like to take my hat off a little bit to WhatsApp as sometimes, sometimes invaluable stories and messages go around on WhatsApp. Zelumazeh, of course. <coughs> Let's not uh, fool ourselves. It's just as precarious and dangerous as it is positive. And running, turn on the middle light switch, please.
This is Chaim Zonnefeld, the Rav in Yerushalayim. Oh, Atlanta, that was nasty. Okay. This is Chaim Zonnefeld. one beautiful afternoon and as he was walking by a school he saw a little four-year-old girl sitting on the stoop of the school crying what happened I don't know what happened sitting on the stoop of the, stu- on the stoop of a school crying And he walks over and he asks the little girl, Maidala, what's vain school? What are you crying? And she said, Rahman her mother is very, very, very ill. And there's no one to pick her up. She was left in school. He didn't let his ego get in the way. Chief Rabbi went into the school and he asked and he inquired and found out the address of the child and he himself escorted the child home. Needless to say the mother is dying in a hospital lying very very ill in a hospital the house was slightly in disarray, a family of children He walks inside, making sure the child is okay, and he tells the family, Kinderlach, don't worry, the mother will be completely healthy. Wrong my computer. Something happened here to this phone. Who? Why are there so many screens on this phone? Mm-hmm. Why are attack here? Oh, much better. What was that? I don't know. Okay. said, don't worry, Mamala. Not only your mother will be well, she will live to take you to the chuppah. What more does she need, the child? What a wonderful promise. Okay, we're better. 
What a wonderful promise she gets from the chief rabbi. And lo and behold, miraculously, only a few short weeks later, the mother was home, Gizunta hate. The child grows up, as does the child to her siblings, the siblings younger than her as well, the new siblings that enter the family since then. And this four-year-old girl comes of age. She comes of age to get married, and then Yerushalayim, 17 years old, was acceptable. And they begin to look for a suitor, a fitting suitor for her. And each time, each one, each name that's brought forth, the girl refuses to go out. And she finds an excuse for everything. Needless to say, it's made her parents very antsy. But the girl says, the girl says. Time goes on, the girl gets older, and the little siblings start getting older as well. And it was time for one of the younger ones to get married. And the younger and the daughter said, No problem, I give permission. And the sibling went before her. And did another, as did another. Till all the children were married, except for her. She was 32 years of age. An old maid, Nebuch. And now she agreed to a shidduch. She agreed to a name that was mentioned... She went out with the boy, she became a Kala. And Amal's de she got married, and of course her mother took her to the Chuppah. And the next morning, they found the mother had passed away. Tragic. Right after the wedding, the girl would have to sit Shiva. Allahically, there's different ramifications to that. There are some opinions that the Chalsan Kala finished Shev Brachas and then the Kala said Shiva or the Chalsan, whoever it is. There's always this and you shouldn't know from such things. The Kala, though, had to come to the Levaya of her mother. And Minigiri Shalayim was to ask Mechila. Each child had to ask forgiveness from the parent. And the new Kala walks over to the mother and says, Mama, I know I must, I must have caused you tremendous, tremendous grief. Horrible, horrible pain. All these years that I was refusing one Shidduch after the other. But Mama, you should know, I was a firm believer in the Maradas and the Rav. And the Rav said that you would get well, and you got well. And the Rav said that you would take me to the Chuppah. And I knew that too would happen in time.
But I also had a feeling that would be the last chuppah you go to. So I said, why deprive my siblings of having their mother by the wedding? Hence I let them get married before me. How selfless was this child to wait to the age of 32 to marry so that she saw to it that all her siblings had their mother at their wedding. Because she believed in Das Teda, Bumunashlema. Eile Tildes Neach. Eile Tildes Yitzchok. The Farshim tell us that Neach was a new era. The Mabel cleansed the world. And a new era came about. The concept of Maisim Toivim, the concept of camaraderie, this all came about. This was Teilde's Neyach, Neyach Lashen Menucha, calmness. The world was in total disarray, in total havoc. Hence, the flood hence the destruction of the entire world and not the fire anyone ever think of that I could have made a fire and destroyed the whole world as well it was not done through a fire you hear me now yeah, I just saw your text. It was done through a flood of 40 days, representing 40 saw, which purifies, like the mikveh. And the new era began of Maisim Tevim, of Mitzvahs, Eila Teilis Yitzchok says Rashi, this refers to the birth of Yitzchok and Esav, Yaakov and Esav. The birth of the two children, which comes about in the beginning of Pasha's Teilis. This in turn now is a new Shlav as well. It enters now the circles of the story of Yaakov and Esav. Who was Yaakov? Who was Esav? And the simple question, of course, we know that the Pasuk tells us Esav came out first and Yaakov holding his ankle, thereby earning himself the name Yaakov of Akev, was one second. But yet Rashi tells us is Yaakov and Esav. What were the connection between the two? How were they? We 
we know that there was a trivial issue here of this little conniving Esav. Esav comes to his father and asks him, How do we tithe? How do we take miser from salt and from straw? Taylor tells us who was Esav. A man of the field, a hunter. Rashi explains what's your day outside. He was able to capture. What does it mean, capture? He was able to capture and fool and deceive his father. By asking, How do I take mycid? How do I take tithing from salt and from straw? And thereby the father thinking, wow, he is so observant, even a small mitzvah of Meiser on salt, he doesn't want to forego. Very simple question brought about from this. If Re'esav wanted to prove himself and depict himself as a Yiddishamayim, his question is quite the opposite. Idiot! Everyone knows you don't give maise from salt or from straw. So if everybody knows that already, why are you trying to ask such a question? It's obvious the answer. So you're bringing up, you're acting like a total moron. Secondly, anyone who's really medayak in mitzvahs, Anyone that's immaculate with doing his mitzvahs knows how to take care of it. Would know how to take maise. Maise is one-tenth of what you have. By asking this question, he's showing that he is totally ignorant to the simple day-by-day action mitzvahs behavior to God. That being the case, how was he meant to fool his father depicting righteousness by asking a question which is totally out of the realm of normalcy so obviously Esau's aim was much deeper obviously it was not the same Meiser the same tithing that we take from our money, from our wheat. It was rather the Maisa in the comparison like Avram Avinu gave to Malkitzedek. When Avram met Malkitzedek, he gave Maisa from everything. So Avram separated everything that he owned, he took off 10% of it and gave it to, to, to Malkitzedek. And their case thereby, there would be salt and straw involved as well. Everything that he owned. So Esau was showing that I'm just like uh, my grandfather Avram. I give myself from everything. (laughs) 
So his question, in essence, was not how the obligation of salt and straw, rather how do we actually do this tithing? How do I take the value of salt and straw? Truth to be told, it sounds so trivial. Salt. Take your salt, you have 10 pounds of salt, take off 1 pound. Straw, you have 100 pounds of straw, take off 10 pounds. That's the question. But salt... The value of salt can be measured two ways. And so too with straw. According to the actual value, how much is this container of salt worth? And according to its use, how much is this kugel worth? How much is this delicacy worth, which was made with salt? Salt itself is not really expensive, usually. But, take a good kugel, take a good soup, take a good anything, and try to cook it without salt and see where it gets you. You'll have, it'll be tasteless. You need to add salt. I take that back. You don't need to add salt. You need to eat it the way it is. I know people that add salt no matter how salty the food is. Don't add salt, for God's sake. I once had... There was a very salty food cooked in the house. It's naturally salty. And... This fellow came to eat dinner... And he served a portion and he took out the salt. And said, no! He put salt. He ate it, I think, anyway. God bless him. Salt? What value? Tell me. I'm going to sell you a saltless challah? What do you got there? I have to check? Hold on. It's on silent. I don't hear it. <laughs> still can't see no you can see when it rains it pours what happened now you can't see or hear it now we're back on mas o menos I don't know what's going on here today with this why is this thing acting up I don't know I put it on straight okay sorry anyway I'll send you the video later that's all <laughs> How much would this food be worth to you without salt? And how much more would it be worth to you with salt? And straw. Straw is used to build bricks. We know that because in Egypt, that's the Jews were given to do. To mix in the straw into the bricks, into the mortar, so that it becomes stronger. You could also use it for heating up your oven. When you use the straw just for heating up your oven, it lasts a very, very short time. 
If you use it to feed your animals, it also has its own value to it. When you use it to build your bricks, hey, it's so much stronger with straw. So obviously if you have a choice to buy bricks made with straw, bricks without straw, the choice is hands down with straw. So we see therefore, salt and straw, both of them, have face value and have an actual value. This was the question of Esav. When it comes to tithing salt and straw, do I do it according to the actual value or to the face value? Do I do it according to the container of plain salt or do I do it according to the kugel? And this is how he tried to deceive his father. And to try to depict in his mind's eye that he was a God-fearing person. And therefore Yitzchak really thought it was true. And Yitzchak wanted to bless Esau over Yaakov. But it's still not clear. Esau spoke. <laughs> I can't tell the story. Not online for sure. The moral of the story was the person opened his mouth. And as soon as he opened his mouth, you knew you didn't want to go near this guy. Esau opened his mouth. He never said, thank Hashem. He never said Hashem is great. He never said him yet Hashem. People appreciate that video. Esav never had the name of God on his lips. And Yaakov listened to that. Yitzhak listened to that. Now any simpleton would realize this person is not a God-fearing person. Say what you want, come what you want, come what may. He does not have the name of God in his mouth. So we go back again, Yitzchak, how did you get fooled? But the truth of the matter is, Yitzchak recognized Esau's true source of greatness. He knew that he was wicked, to a level of Yisrael Mumer, like an Apikiris, but a Jewish one. But he saw his roots. He saw where he was coming from. Let's get um, bare knuckles. Yitzchak and Rivka had a child. You want to tell me that Yitzchak and Rivka brought a child like Esau into the world? A wicked Esau? How? But rather, Esau had a very special neshama.
and came from a very high source. It takes a Yitzchak to recognize a high neshama. And to appreciate a high neshama. To value the high neshama. That special soul has so much potential. And although it's sure that the parents, Yitzchak and Rivka, showed unconditional love to this child, devoted and dedicated themselves to the utmost. After all, their education brought about a Yaakov. And anyone who has twins can tell you, or would, might tell you, I can see it happen. This one is so much cuter, this one is so much nicer, this one is so much more pleasant that the other one gets sometimes a little bit of neglect. But then again, anyone that tells you that obviously needs to go for parenting. But aside for that, they're not Yitzchak and Rivka. There are 2018 modern day parents who send their children to therapy for the whisper of the wink of an eye. Rather than devoting and putting their love, putting their devotion, dedication into the child. No! The child's a problem. Send them for therapy. You stand up for it. A parent needs to stand up for it and persevere and follow through. I just yesterday heard about a little child, a little girl, five years old, six years old, who last year had never a special ed teacher that needs special ed or had a principal that needs to be in special ed and they determined that this little girl cannot be mainstreamed should be put in a special ed school Baruch Hashem with Siata Deshmaya the family persevered and the family put down their foot and said no and she acquiesced, she agreed to actually hold the child another year in the school and see. And just yesterday, one of the observers or principals or teachers said, can't believe what they thought about this child. Child so sweet, so smart. What were they thinking? They would have destroyed this child's life. Child has no problem. A little bit here, there's stupidities. Not being labeled. So there was Shatta Deshmai involved. Yitzchok and Rivka had 
the umpteenth level of Shatta Dishmaya. You want to tell me that they let Esav go? They said, Esav, nah, willst nicht, geh nicht. You don't want, don't go, don't do. In favor. Yitzchak knew very well how high the Neshama was of Esav. When it came down to this world, it fell to a horrible level. And therefore Yitzchak wanted to bench, to bless this soul, so that it could have the strength to elevate itself to where it could be. To, re- to rinse, to cleanse itself. And to reveal its actual holy, holy sources. And this greatness, this mahus of Esav is hinted in salt and in straw. <laughs> Generally, one does not take a handful of salt and lick it. I mean, they might if someone told them it's sugar and then find out, unfortunately, that it's not. But when you're six months old and you find a potato chip on the floor and you grab the potato chip in your mouth and you start to feel that salt on your lip, it's really amazing probably. I saw that today in real, in, in real time. Mm-hmm. And salt in general though is almost borderline bitter if you just eat salt. Never mind what it does to you blood pressure but when you use it correctly and you put the right amount into the food ah, it literally takes the most bitter thing and makes it sweet straw itself is the shells of the wheat but until you take it off the wheat it's protecting the wheat This is also the mahus, the essence and the premius of Esau. And it was not yet the time for him to be misakin, for him to rectify, to fix this flaw. But in the time of the Geula, It would be Vahoya Besakiv Aish Bes Aesav Lakash. The time of the redemption when the house of Yaakov and the Avadya Novi prophesizes the house of Jacob will have fire and that of Aesav will be of straw. At that point the consumption would elevate and bring him to the highest possible level. With the BS Mashiach to Kainu because of Mamish. Yitzhak was not entire, entirely oblivious, honestly speaking. We just said he knew what Asa was all about. Terah tells us that Yitzchak 
devoted a great deal of energy to digging wells. Digging water wells. He restored all the old wells that his father had dug and it was refilled. So he was searching and developing new sources of fresh water. Now, technically, this sounds like a very meaningless thing to be doing. But this is actually a very important detail in Yitzhak's life. It was a reflection of his distinctive nature. This was his unique path of how he served God. Everyone walks by a piece of land and sees dirt, sees gravel, sees stones. Yitzchak dug. And he dug deeply. And he revealed springs of life-giving water that ran beneath the earth. Yitzchak spent his life refining the unrefined unearthing and cultivating the beauty of what the potential within God's creations and its own godly source. So therefore we understand how Yitzchak wanted to bless Esav, as we just spoke. Even though Esav had a horrific behavior, Yitzchak had the ability to see the great spiritual potential associated with Esav. And therefore he hoped that his powerful blessing would excavate the spiritual treasures that lay within the child. Today there are no Asabs. But like Yitzchak, who labored so hard to reveal this connection to God buried within, even within the wicked Asab, we also, we too must endeavor to bring closer those that are not yet drinking the the life-giving waters. And with toil, with effort, we can reveal within each and every Jew their source of life by dedicating ourselves to the fellow Jew the fellow Jew will hear and see the positive within themselves will see their great potential that they carry and will therefore devote their lives to a total different tract and although we still have Asa rearing its ugly head somewhere giving us a notion to try to do something that looks and feels so despicable, that attracts us, that draws us away from spirituality, we must always remember that if we persevere and we forge ahead, we will overcome all these obstacles. And this too we need to instill instill. As Dvarim Ayetzim in Alev, Nechnasim Alev. Words that come from our heart 
will enter and penetrate the hearts of others so that we can tell them recognize who you are recognize your greatness your glory Terah tells us Yitzchak went blind in his old age one of the explanations of Rashi is that God caused him to become blind so that he would bless Jacob instead of Esau he would bless Yaakov instead of Esau Emedish tells us that when Yitzchak was lying on the Akedah, with his neck stretched out, not saying, Tata, don't do it to me, don't do this, Tata. Please, Tata, it's me, your son. Mm. Instead of crying out, he stretched his neck out and said, Tata, I am ready. At that time, all the angels in heaven started to cry. And some of those tears fell into Yitzchak's eyes, thereby blinding him. We know, and we've spoken about this, a blind person is as good as dead. It's not debilitating, it's literally like death. Persons confined to home can't really do much. But because Yitzchak planned to bestow the greatest brachas of an Esav, not realizing how wicked Esav really was, God caused him to become blind. So that he should <coughs> see to it. With Yaakov's disguise, he could be successful in receiving the brachas. Yitzchak was 123 years old when he blessed the children. He lived to 180. 57 years he suffered blind, confined to his home as if he's dead. All because he was unaware of Esav's wickedness and wanted to bless him. Was this really necessary? Why did not God come to Yitzchak and say, Yitzchak, don't bless Esav, bless Yaakov. And that's it. Gamarnu. Torture him for 57 years, Rechman being blind. Yitzchak had his suspicions about Esav. He saw Esav's wives. He heard Esav never mention God's name. So just give him a tip and say, it's true, as a gefer Trachtish benching him, he's a terrible person, don't even think of benching him. We see from here a life lesson, which I've already said this by previous Sikhs and Pasha told this, previous Shirin. But it's a life lesson that we need to hear again and again 
and again. No matter who you are, no matter what you think you are, no matter who you stand, where you stand and what you think you can stand for. We see the extent one must be willing to go in order to avoid speaking negative about another Jew. God saw to it, it was better to cause Yitzchak blindness for over five decades rather than say Lashon Hara about Esav. If this is true concerning Esav, how much more so must be me careful when we're speaking about a fellow Jew. The most fit, sinful Jew is not an Esav. And yet, and yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu would not talk a word of Lashon Hara even against this wicked Esav. A big yamtiv. A big yamtiv. Way back in Tavshin Lamed Ches, which every Shkedish Kislev, I tell you the same thing. I was not here. There was no social media. There was no internet. A phone call from where I was to New York was about $7 a minute. And those times, $7 was a lot of money. And who could speak only one minute? We had a mazel. One of the Bakrim had a cousin who worked in a bank. And apparently at those times, the financial institutions like a bank, an international bank, had capacity to call long distance. Excuse me, I can't tell you if it was free call or if it was on the Cheshbina Bank. Whatever the case might have been, the cousin would call once a week, once every two weeks to give some some kind of update. We knew that the Rebbe had suffered a severe heart attack. We found this out several days later, actually. It was Matzah Shabbos Bereshit when we found it out. Because at that point in time, although the Shliach already knew right after Yom Tov, he didn't tell us. Matzah Shabbos Bereshit, the Shliach told us to come to hear the Rebbe speak as the Rebbe was going to speak for a very brief time. (laughs) Okay, we'll talk about that later. I said it's only a Deya that says that. It's not everybody holds that way. It's one of the Medrash that says he got blinded then. It could be also that that gave him cataracts and it only affected him later years <laughs> um, 
Matzah Shabbos Bereishis, we were called to the Shliach's house. We were going to have a Shidur Chai, a hookup, to listen to the Rebbe speak. The doctors, of course, told the Rebbe that he could not speak for more than a minute. The Rebbe said that this is his lifeline, he needed to speak. This is more important to the Rebbe than any medications or anything that they could possibly give the Rebbe. Obviously the Rebbe did not stick to the guideline of the minute. And in that sikha, or mimer, or very, very deep thought that the Rebbe gave us, the Rebbe spoke about the father hiding from the child. And the child calling out, Abba, Abba, where are you? Father, Father, where are you? As the Jewish nation calls out to its Father in Heaven, as we feel lost, as our Father hides from us. This I do remember. After this very brief sikha, we were told what went on, or maybe he told us before, and we listened to the sikha, that you could hear the Rebbe's voice was very raspy, very, very weak. We were told simply that the Rebbe had a heart attack. We were not told the severity of the heart attack. The severity of the heart attack, apparently, according to the doctors, was they told the Gabayim to prepare the chassidim for tomorrow, for there would be probably a funeral. The doctors gave the Rebbe no hope to go through the night. But the doctors cannot think. Doctors know nothing. Kadochus. And the Rebbe Baruch Hashem spoke one Matzah Shabbos after another, after another. This was the last week of Tishrei and went through the entire month of Cheshven on a Shchedish Kislev, the doctors who ultimately said that during spending the time with the Rebbe, they learned more about medicine this few weeks than they ever learned throughout the years in, in med school. At that point, oh, excuse me, I left out a very important point. They wanted to put the Rebbe in the hospital, and the Rebbe said, bring the hospital to me. And the Rebbe stayed in his room with all the hospital equipment for all these weeks. And therefore, the Shchedish Kislev was the first time that the Rebbe was given a clean bill of health, and the Rebbe was told he could go home. This, to the Hasidim, was a major, major simcha, making the Shchedish Kislev a tremendous yomtiv. For our Rebbe was allowed to be with us once again. <laughs> and I've told this story a million times, of the doctor that used to come check the Rebbe's blood pressure periodically. <coughs> After such a heart attack, they were very concerned. So they didn't used to have, I guess, on such a frequent timing, uh, doctor visitations. But now that the Rebbe was such a patient, they came by clockwork, every whatever it was. And one particular doctor was actually volunteering his time, per se, taking off from his practice 
so that he could come and just monitor the Rebbe's blood pressure. And asked the Rebbe if everything was okay. Well, the doctor came to do the Rebbe's blood pressure, check the Rebbe's blood pressure. And the Rebbe was busy. The Rebbe was busy, the Rebbe was busy, the Rebbe was busy. The doctor stood outside waiting and waiting so he could be told to come in. Eventually the doctor turned to the Gabbai and said, Hey, I got a practice to go to. I respect and appreciate the Rebbe, but I got to go. So the Gabbai came to the Rebbe and told the Rebbe that the doctor didn't need to the Rebbe, so let him come in. And the Rebbe was sitting with his glasses on his face, on his holy eyes, and he was holding a letter that someone had written to the Rebbe asking for a blessing. And the doctor walked over to the Rebbe, put the cuff on the Rebbe's arm, and started to pump, and pump, and pump, and pump, and it's getting higher and higher. And the doctor was so shocked, he let out a gasp. The Rebbe turned to the poor doctor and said, One minute. The Rebbe put down the letter. The Rebbe took off his glasses. The Rebbe said, Now take it. And the doctor took the blood pressure again, and the blood pressure was normal. The Rebbe said to him, I am holding in my hand the tzaras of a yid, the troubles of a Jew. The Jew is tortured with whatever it was. And I'm holding this, reading this in my hand. You expect my blood pressure to read normal? And therefore, by putting down the letter, the Rebbe was supposedly detaching himself from that letter. But the Rebbe would take to heart every single letter that he received. And mind you, he received more letters than the President of the United States of America on a daily basis. And the Rebbe would read every letter. The Rebbe would give full heart and attention to every letter. There was not always answers. Not always did the Rebbe send out an answer to the person. But there was always results. If the Rebbe had what to actually answer to tell the person a directive to do, that came out immediately or sometimes also could take a day, two, a week. Couples would not get engaged without the Rebbe's bracha. The Chassan would write, the Kala would write. And there were times that they went the longest time without receiving the bracha, without receiving an answer. Not understanding what the Rebbe's intention was. Not knowing what the Rebbe saw. And therefore, Nashkedish Kislev, when the Rebbe came back to the Chassidim, full force, and even stronger, began to forbring more frequently against, of course, the doctor's wishes and orders. And you test kissed the Rebbe forbring the full length. 
And the doctor came to visit the Rebbe by the Fabrengen. And he approached the Rebbe. And he told the Rebbe that the way the Rebbe is forging ahead, there's a 10% chance that God forbid he'll have another heart attack. And the Rebbe ignored the doctor. And the doctor repeated again, Rebbe, if the Rebbe continues pushing himself like this and doesn't go away on vacation a little bit, there's a percentage, a chance that Hikatsashon could have another heart attack. And again the Rebbe ignored him. And when the doctor on a third time insisted on getting his message across and said, Rebbe, do you hear what I'm telling you? And the Rebbe turned to him and said, I heard you. You told me there's a 90% chance this will never happen again. The Rebbe then went to, told the Gabbai to dismiss this doctor from his circles. The Rebbe no longer wanted to be treated by this doctor as the Rebbe did not tolerate pessimism. So the Rebbe's objective was positive thinking, positive devotion, positive connection to God by being, being positive, keeping positive, blocking out the negative and blocking out the negative, we can persevere and we can conquer anything we need to. And we'll be zeicher to v'olum eshim ba'atziyin l'shpeit l'sharesav v'hoysel Hashem amlucha and we will all go up to the Mount of Zion, El Hatziyin, the Shpeitas Hareisov, this very Shabbos, Vayetze Yaakov Mibbeh Shavah, as we read the four Mincha, Yaakov goes out from all this Golis, goes out from all this persecution, goes out from their own personal Golis, from their own personal persecution, where they find themselves enclosed and in roast and God forbid locked in to a mundane lifestyle where each and every one of us will find ourselves in Yerushalayim Yerakedish with Mashiach Tzadkenu this very Shabbos Gut Yom Tev Shabbat Shalom to all